friends, this um, is coming to be part of my favorite, part of the seasons of Asbury's uh, rhythm of life when we return together after a break and we launch into a new semester together. And I'm returning along with you. I was out of town last week. And while I have to admit that Asbury is known, this place is known to many as heaven on earth, the place where I was last week might come in a close second. Um, I was speaking at a retreat that just happened to be held on board a Caribbean cruise. <laughs> of the 2,000 people that were on board the ship with us, we were part of a group of about 200 Christian women who woke up early for Bible study and stayed up late for worship. And let me just tell you that there are worse places in the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ than a cruise ship. Um, having been a pastor for a while, I'll just say that opportunities like that, well, they've never come along for me before. The perks of ministry are usually measured in eternal rewards. And when there are earthly rewards attached to ministry, they usually have something to do with a casserole, or a plate of brownies that one of your sweet church members makes for you. So when I was asked to speak on this cruise over 18 months ago, um, I said, let me pray about that for a minute. Yes. <laughs> it's a tough mission field out there, but somebody has to do it. Now this morning, I'm not going to bore you with stories of sandy beaches and five-course meals that ended with two desserts. Um, you really don't want to hear about that, I know, trust me. But the part I want to share with you about um, that experience is what happened when I got off the ship. Um, my plane from sunny Florida touched down here in winter-stricken Kentucky. And when I stepped off of that plane here onto terra firma, something curious happened to me. The ground under my feet tilted up to meet me and it felt like it was swaying. Everything in my vision was rocking back and forth, side to side, just like the deck of the ship. And while I'd had no trouble at all keeping my balance for five days on a cruise ship, here back on dry land, I suddenly was off balance. I had to hold on to things to keep from swaying side to side or even falling over. And that was a little amusing at first. But I'll tell you that the vertigo and headaches that followed and fatigue, the inability to focus on a computer screen without getting a little nauseous, that didn't stay funny for very long. And so now, four days later, you're still sloshing from side to side just a little bit as I speak. Um, so if I am grasping the pulpit this morning, it is not a homiletical tool that I'm using. <laughs> it is, in fact, for balance. So when I came home, I did what any rational person would do. I Googled it. And this disorder is actually common among people who cruise. How did I know? It's called mal de débarquement syndrome. How French. How appropriate to have such a lovely sounding uh, malady. It simply means that even though when you return, you're standing on solid ground, you still feel the movement of a ship that my brain had so adjusted to the motion of that boat that it's had a hard time stopping. And then instead of being seasick, which I did not experience, now I'm experiencing something you might call land sickness. 
In short, my body was in motion for so long that it had forgotten how to stop. Now, why do I tell you that this morning? Is it because I want to complain about my ailment? Woe is me, I was on a Caribbean cruise and now I'm a little dizzy. <laughs> Talk about first world problems, right? No. I tell you that because I think that land sickness is a problem that many of us have. I think that many of us have trouble stopping. Once we've been a body in motion, it takes a great deal of energy to stop us and bring us to a standstill. And that's one reason that as a community, we have chosen the theme of Sabbath this semester, to focus together on what it means to find a rhythm of action and reflection, a time of stopping that punctuates our work and play together. That's why here uh, in chapel every Wednesday through Easter, we'll be talking about Sabbath, about how God created us for a rhythm of rest and reflection. Kevin uh, read beautifully the stunning creation passage from Genesis 1 and 2, and you were participants in that great passage. That was intentional to help you feel the rocking rhythm of days 1 through 6. We could have just read the first three verses of chapter 2. Those are the verses about the Sabbath day. But if we had, we would have missed the rhythm of the poetry of chapter 1. I want to encourage you, those of you going to the local church, to read longer passages of scripture with your people. Sometimes the scripture that you read and experience aloud in church on Sunday is the longest portion of scripture that people will get. It's their food for the week. Don't shortchange them with just a little snippet. Especially when you have a beautiful passage like Genesis chapter 1, you need to hear aloud the rhythm and rocking of that passage, the cadence that's written there. And the way in which that passage is put together itself is artistry. The wording mirrors the artistry of the creation that is unfolding in chapter one. And only when you read the whole story can you get the rhythm, evening and morning, evening and morning, good, good, very good. Only when you are rocking in rhythm do you experience the dramatic stop of the seventh day. God finished. God rested. God blessed. That's it. No evening, no morning, no good, no very good, just a very distinct feeling of putting on the brakes and coasting to a stop. And if, God, if creation is God's song of rhythm, of creative work, then Sabbath is the rest in that score of music. I think our musicians would affirm for us that if, if you play a piece of music and ignore the rests, you're going to get it wrong. Um, but that's what we tend to do. We mess up the song by skipping the rests. Ask me how I know. If you don't believe me, um, I want to share with you a little booklet that my son made in four-year-old Sunday school class. Its title is Aptly Creation. Uh, there's nothing like learning the Bible through the eyes of your child as they learn it. And I love what they're doing in this Sunday school class to a point. I'll share it with you. 
uh, creation begins with a void, and then each day is numbered. Number one, darkness and light. Number two, the separation of waters. I mean, let's just stop and say what a genius my son is at coloring this book. <laughs> You're welcome to come look at it after the service if you'd like to admire. Number three, plants begin to appear here. It's the separation of waters into dry land. Number four, we have a sun, a moon, stars, a big number five with birds above and fish below. I even see a little whale there. Number six turns this way. We have a human being holding an animal, caring for it. And then you turn the page, and there's an earth labeled creation and the words, it is good. No seven, no Sabbath, no stop, no rest. It, it is very good was actually on the former page, right? On day six, and someone has left a page out of this book. And while I love the creativity of learning, I'm a little incensed that they left the Sabbath off of creation. I'm incensed until I remember that I do it too. I forget the rest. I forget to stop. I tear the page out of God's creation and mess up the rhythm of the whole song. God created us in rhythm, in cadence. Because God stopped on the seventh day, the Hebrew people were expected to stop on the seventh day. And there are other created rhythms in scripture as well, right? Just as every seventh day was a Sabbath day, every seventh year was a Sabbath year. The land was allowed to lie fallow with no crops, also called a sabbatical year, to which all God's professors said amen. <laughs> God is good all the time, but I hear especially on sabbatical years. And then in that cycle of every seven cycles of seven years, the 50th year is christened a jubilee year, the year when all debts were canceled. And all God's seminary students said, Amen. when is Jubilee? <laughs> this rhythm, it works not only on a macro level, but on a micro level in creation as well. Not only were our bodies created to stop every seven days, we're created to stop and sleep every single day. About a third of every day, your body was created to rest. And in the 1950s, researchers discovered a cycle that even happens within your sleep. That every 90 to 120 minutes, we cycle in and out of light sleep and deep sleep. So even our time of rest has a rhythm to it. And then in the 1970s, more researchers discovered that same pattern happens in our waking hours. It's called an ultradian rhythm every 90 to 120 minutes during your day, your energy cycle ebbs and flows. Your heart rate and hormonal levels, your muscle tension, your brain wave activity increase at the first part of that cycle. And after an hour and a half to two hours, the body begins to crave a period of rest and recovery. It's marked by yawning and stretching, by a lack of focus and hunger pangs 
by difficulty concentrating and tendency to check Facebook on your phone. <laughs> Not kidding. And a higher incidence of mistakes at what you're working on. Here we call it about halfway through class. <laughs> when that ebb and flow of your energy happens, you were created with a pattern of rest and reflection built right into who you are. And we can override all of those cycles. You and I can push through if we try. We just get the adrenaline and the caffeine going, and it does its job. We can override the cycles of rest and reflection. But over time, those build up as actual toxins in our bodies. We get physically sick and emotionally burned out from the adrenaline that we pump into ourselves. And while we think that working through without a break may increase productivity, actually, we're poisoning ourselves over time. You were created with rhythm, a nighttime rhythm, a daytime rhythm, a weekly rhythm. With all this rhythm, you'd expect that we'd do a little better job clapping and swaying in chapel. You were created with a rhythm of rest and reflection. Sabbath rhythm is in your bones. It's in your nervous system. It's in your blood. And that creation story, days one through seven, are full of rhythmic movement, a dance punctuated by a chorus that repeats itself again and again, and then stopped at the end with a beautiful rest. Where I'm from in Texas, we have a dance that we call the Texas Two-Step. I demonstrate it for you this morning, except the vertigo <laughs> and the invention of cell phone cameras. I don't trust you. <laughs> and the strange thing about the Texas Two-Step is it is actually a dance with three steps. And I was taught in my rhythm-challenged um, youth um, I was taught to dance by someone who told me, as you dance the two-step, just whisper to yourself under your breath the names of the steps. Quick, quick, slow. Quick, quick, slow. Quick, quick, slow. Can you say that with me? Quick, quick, slow. Quick, quick, slow. Quick, quick, slow. Now, if by chance you forget the slow step, things go terribly wrong. You tend to step on your partner's feet, maybe even fall out of step or fall over. If you leave out the slow step, you don't even really have a dance anymore. Because all quick steps with no slow is not a dance, it's a race. Imagine inviting someone to dance with you and watching them run off. <laughs> a woman that I met on this cruise ship last week, shared the testimony of how she became desperate enough to give her life to Jesus. She told about how she was once a young executive in a successful company, the youngest woman ever to reach her position. She commuted 90 minutes one way, worked 12-hour days, commuted 90 minutes home, and had two small children. And when she learned she was about to be promoted again to vice president, that her family would have to move across the country, she stopped and took stock. She actually went to church with her family on a Sunday when she was not working. She said it was nothing more than to check it off as another thing on her to-do list. But someone in that church service challenged her 
to describe herself in one word. If you could describe yourself in one word, they said, what would that word be? And she said she remembers coming home and laying down on her bedroom floor, anxious and stressed out by trying to come up with that answer. Finally, she came out of the room and said to her husband, who was sitting on the couch, she said, I, I've been racking my brain for one word that describes me, and I cannot come up with any word other than the word busy. And he said, I can't help you with this one. And that was when, out of desperation, she was driven into the arms of God by that one word, busy, because she had no other word. She was full steam ahead with no rhythm, no rest, no stop. She had been on a race for so long that she had to be stopped in her tracks to get into the rhythm of the dance with her creator. And busy, just that one word, was the word that changed her life because somewhere in her bones, she sensed that there was more. Let me say that I was a little surprised last fall, my first full semester in this position as your, your pastor on this campus. I was a little surprised by how quickly in the semester the dial turned to overwhelm for you. How quickly the first week, the first chapel even, I looked out and saw anxiety in your eyes. I passed you on campus, I asked you how your semester was going, and you said, busy. I saw you in the cafeteria, and I asked you how you were, and you said, busy. What does it mean if the one word that describes you best is busy? It means you're on a race. I'm gonna challenge you this semester to strike that word from your vocabulary. Do not answer with the word busy. I'm not asking to be inauthentic or to lie about how you're doing, but I'm pretty sure that there are more beautiful and more creative words to describe you than that dirty word, busy. And if there aren't other words, it's time for a rest. Do not let busy define you. Do not buy the world's lie that exhaustion is a status symbol. This season that you spend here in seminary is not, in fact, a sabbatical from your real life. This is your real life. And you are building here the rhythm of who you are. Your habits here will calcify into your identity. And the daily disciplines that you are putting into place in your life now will be the ones that you take out with you into life and ministry, along with the terrifying truth that you will never have more free time than you do here today. Eugene Peterson, that pastor of pastors, puts it this way. He says, how can I lead people beside still waters? if I am always in perpetual motion. How will you answer that young woman in your congregation, your counseling office, your mission field, or your classroom, who comes exhausted to you and says that the only word that defines her is busy? How will you teach her 
to define herself by the rhythm of God's rest unless you have experienced it yourself. Now, I'll remind you that the danger of any spiritual discipline, Sabbath included, is the temptation to create a scaffolding of rules around it. Once we have rules in place, we like to put more rules in place to prop those up. We are a structured people, and rule following gives us something to do. Even in our rest, we like something to do. Sabbath is not a legalistic burden. It is not another rule that God puts on our backs so that he can check our work. It is a sign of God's passion for our wholeness, our happiness, and our holiness. And our community is going to make this Sabbath journey together, this Sabbath experience this semester. And you may be a little shocked by how few guidelines we set out there for you. Because while we're joining together to make Sabbath a greater part of our lives and our community, no one is going to check up on you and find out how you have Sabbathed this week. No one is watching your house or your dorm room to see if you've rested appropriately. No one is saying that you can't crack a textbook on any given day or parse a Hebrew verb or pull your donkey out of a ditch. This experiment is not about legalism, because ain't nobody got time for that. What this is about is dance lessons. Quick, quick, slow. (laughs) Discovering the rhythm that we were created for and surrendering the lie that exhaustion is a status symbol or that our worth comes from our doing, of accepting the love and grace of the one who says, come to me, You who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If those words describe you today, if you were maybe burned out before the semester begins, I will just say that fatigue is not a sin. It's a sign, an invitation to the slow step of the dance, to experience the rest in the song to remember that this is not a race. And that when we come together in these worship services at midday, it's a little mini Sabbath for us to take with us. And that when we come together to talk about Sabbath rest, each Wednesday we will also come to the table. I'm aware in a whole new way today that this table is an anchor in a spinning world. And that I'm holding onto it for dear life. It reminds me of an old sailor's cure for seasickness that I heard about, even though I've never experienced seasickness, I'm hoping it's a cure for land sickness as well. That if the motion of your life begins to make you a little sick, You're supposed to go to the deck of the ship. And in a world where you can't tell what's still and what's moving, you're supposed to look to the horizon and to fix your life on what you know is real, what you know is still. And in a world that shifts back and forth enough to make you a little dizzy sometimes, you're to fix yourself on what you know is true 
That's what this place is for us. That's why we come here again and again to steady ourselves, to remember the rhythm of rest, to cease, to rest, to feast, to play, and to learn to dance. Amen.